I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 this evening. Luke chapter 5 tells us the story of when Jesus uh, was approached by a man with leprosy and he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus immediately was moved with compassion and reached forth his hand and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. And immediately, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed, the Bible says. And then Jesus told him, go, don't tell anybody about this. He said, but instead go to the priest, according to the law of Moses, and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded of you. But I want to pick up reading in verse 15, Luke chapter 5, verse 15. It said, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Notice they didn't just come to be healed, they came to hear. And look with me to uh, Luke chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 17. This is after Jesus chooses the twelve. And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples. And a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went out, there went virtue or power out of him and healed them all. Now again notice that the multitudes came not just to be healed but to hear. Now we understand that how and uh, and it's easy for us to understand how that people would fail to hear us on occasion or maybe many occasions. There was a situation that uh, that occurred just a couple of months ago here on Sunday night at Healing School, where there was a, a young lady that came to me after the service and uh, and said, uh, and I noticed when she came in that I hadn't seen her sitting in the service or in the uh, in the auditorium. But that didn't mean a whole lot to me because sometimes I miss people that are sitting there. Sometimes I look right at them and don't realize it's them. But nevertheless, she came and she said, I'm a friend of so-and-so and called somebody in our church, called them by name, and said, they told me about your healing service. And I got here just about 10 minutes ago, didn't come into the service, stayed out in the, in the lobby, and, uh, and I wanted you to pray for my healing. So I said, well, tell me what's going on. So she told me what the situation was. And knowing that she hadn't been in the service, which would have been a good service for her to be in, as a matter of fact. But knowing that she hadn't been in the service and knowing that faith is a prerequisite for the majority of cases of healing that took place in Jesus' ministry, I started showing her some things about the Word and talking to her about what Jesus had already done. I could tell from her, uh, from what she said, what little bit she had said, that she was looking for God to do something rather than having any kind of recognition or understanding that Jesus has already done something. So I started talking to her a little bit, and I asked her a couple of questions, and I put it in terms of salvation. I said, now, you're saved, aren't you? She said, yeah. And I said, well, if you came to me, or if you brought a friend to me to be saved, we wouldn't ask God to save them. We'd talk to them about what Jesus did on the cross and the provision that was made for them because of his work on the cross to provide salvation and tell them that it was just simply a matter of receiving what was already done. Isn't that right? She said, well, yeah. So I asked her a couple more questions. Talked to her for about, I don't know, maybe five minutes tops. And I slowed down long enough to ask her another question about healing. 
And instead of answering me, instead of saying goodbye, instead of saying anything, she just turned on her heels and walked straight out the door. Well, you can readily see that it wouldn't have done me any good to pray for her. She didn't want to hear anything. She just wanted somebody to pray. Now, I have no doubt that she found a number of people that would pray for her. And perhaps they prayed for her, Lord, if it be your will, heal her. Maybe they prayed in some other manner. Maybe they tried to pray the prayer of faith and tried to carry her on their their faith instead of building faith in the individual. I don't know. But I have no doubt that she found enough people to pray so that she felt justified in herself to blame God for not hearing and answering her prayer. When all the time the Bible says the people that got results were the ones that came to hear and to be healed. Now, like I said, that's not an uncommon thing. I'm not uh, unfamiliar with people rejecting the things that we have to say or not wanting to hear the things that we have to say and just wanting to take a chance on saying some kind of prayer, hoping that it'll work. But it defies logic, all logical reasoning, why people would fail to hear Jesus. But that's exactly what the situation was on many occasions. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. One of the best examples we have is right here in the fourth chapter of Luke. Luke shares some things because he was a physician. He shares some things about healing that even if some of the other gospel writers give us the same accounts, he gives us a little bit more detail. I think he had a little bit more interest because he had some kind of training as a physician. He's called Luke the physician in scripture. So whatever training, whatever experience he had with, uh, with healing or attending to fe- people's physical condition gives him a little bit different slant on healing when he relates the stories as inspired by the Holy Ghost. So in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, it says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He looked for the scripture, folks. He searched this out. He had planned to tell these people these things. So he read from the scripture, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now let me translate that for you in modern language. Jesus says, these scriptures are talking about me. The scriptures that everybody understood was speaking of and referring to the Messiah. Who would be anointed by the spirit of the Lord to do these things. He's saying, this is talking about me. Today is the day that this scripture is fulfilled. Because the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to preach recovering of sight to the blind. He's anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives. He's anointed me to set at liberty them that are bruised. He's anointed me to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. It's the ultimate reset button. Everything goes back to its original condition. Debts are paid. So Jesus said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bearing witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. 
And they said, is this, is this not Joseph's son? And notice he's speaking gracious words. He's not condemning them. He doesn't say to begin with, I know the position you're going to take. I know you're going to reject me. I know you're going to try to throw me off the cliff. He's speaking gracious words. He's telling them, in other words, he's telling them that God's will is for them to be free. God sent him there to do signs and wonders and miracles among the people to set them free, to heal the sick, and to solve whatever problem somebody may be in. And then they began to question. They said, isn't isn't this Joseph's son? Well, we know that he wasn't, but apparently they didn't. They're trying to come up with an excuse, reason out an excuse for why he couldn't be the Messiah. And Jesus said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. And notice the next phrase. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. In other words, they've heard of him doing signs and wonders and miracles, healing the sick and so forth in Capernaum. And Jesus knows that they've heard about it. And so Jesus says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, do the same works that you did in Capernaum that we've heard about. Do those here. And then Jesus responds and said, but I say unto you that no prophet is accepted is save in his own country and among his own kin. In other words, they're saying, prove it. Jesus is saying, I can't prove it. You have to receive it. You have to hear it. You have to accept it. Now, what does this do? Well, this makes the people mad, especially when he tells them, gives them two Old Testament examples. Notice what he says. Verse 25, he said, I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine came throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent save or accept unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. In other words, he's saying this. Do you not remember the story in the law and the prophets that you worship and that you revere? Do you not remember the story how that the woman that was spared from the famine was not a Jew? She was a woman of Sidon. She was not a daughter of Abraham. Now, why wasn't a Jewish woman spared from the famine? Why wasn't a Jewish widow spared or used to supply Elijah during that famine? So that the miracle work of God could be done for them. Because God used somebody outside of the Jewish race. That would hear what the prophet said. It all comes back to hearing and receiving. Then he gives them a second example. He said remember Naaman the Syrian. Well if he's a Syrian he's not a Jew. He was the captain of the king of Syria's army. There were many lepers. were in Israel in the time of Elisha. The prophet and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Why? Because even though Naaman hesitated, he finally heard what the prophet said to do and acted on it and came away clean. Well, why? his point is, why didn't God use some leper in Israel, some Jewish leper, to prove the point? Well, apparently, Naaman was the one that was willing to hear what his slave girl, his little servant girl, told him about the prophet's willingness and ability to heal. How that God worked through Elisha to heal the sick. Well, after he gives them these two examples, how that not non-Jewish people would hear and receive what God was doing and what the prophet said, 
That's when God did miracle works. They're wanting the miracle works to be done to prove to them who Jesus is and what he can do. And Jesus says, you have to hear and receive it in order to accept it. Well, this just frosted them over completely. They took him out to the brow of the cliff and intended to throw him head first off the cliff to kill him. But he passed through the middle of them. Now, Mark's account of this says concerning this, concerning this incident and this time in Nazareth, Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, and he says, and he could there do no mighty work. It does not say that he wouldn't. It says that he could not. He couldn't. He was unable to do any mighty work. Savior except he laid his hands upon a few, five or six maybe, sickly folks, folks with minor ailments, not too much wrong with them, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. In other words, he was amazed at their refusal to hear what he had to say. And all they had to do is accept it. Even if they had questions, all they would have had to do is say, well, we don't understand. We thought the Messiah was to be born of a virgin and we know who his dad is. He grew up here in town and we remember his father. So we don't understand how this works, but we have heard you do mighty works in Capernaum. So, okay, maybe there's stuff about this that we don't know. That's all it would have taken. And he'd have been able to heal the lepers in that city. He'd been able to open blind eyes, heal the lame and the crippled. He'd been able to cast out devils and do whatever mighty work was needed or necessary. But they wouldn't hear him. They wouldn't hear him. Turn with me now to another scripture. I want you to see another example in... uh, Well, turn back with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, it tells us about Jesus teaching in a certain place, in a certain house. Beginning in verse 17, And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by the religious people, in other words, the educated, the intellectuals, the elite, sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Now notice this phrase, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Notice the power of the Lord was present because Jesus was teaching. But I want you to to see in this whole experience, this whole incident, that none of them got healed. Yet the Bible says the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then it tells us about the crippled man that was brought in by his four friends who couldn't find a way into the house, so they took the tiling off the roof and let him down with cords or ropes. And Jesus, when he saw their faith, said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Then he explains that it's the same power that forgives sins as heals the sick, which is an important thing for us to realize today. The healing power of God is not a different power than the forgiveness of sins because it was all accomplished by Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. So when Jesus explains it's the same power, he commands the man to take up his bed and walk, and he does. Now, who was it that received a miracle? The one that believed. Why didn't everybody receive what they needed? Because apparently the one man that was crippled and the four guys that brought him in were the only ones that had any faith to receive. In other words, the doctors of the law and the Pharisees wouldn't hear Jesus, so they didn't get healed. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, or Mark, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5. Let's see some folks that did receive. 
and how it works for them. Mark chapter 5, verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus. When she had heard of Jesus. When she had heard of Jesus. She came in the press and touched came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Now, I want you to notice something, folks. Hearing changed this woman's outlook on life. She is in the, uh, the ultimate, uh, uh, the utmost hopeless situation. She's not only sick and has been sick for 12 years. She's done everything medically that she could do. She's been to every physician she could find until she ran out of money. Now she's sick and broke. Because she didn't have any more resources. Everybody's given up on her. What would your outlook be on tomorrow if you were in her condition? Well, until she heard of Jesus, she's expecting tomorrow to be more of the same, if not worse, than what she had today and what she had yesterday and what she had last week and what she had last month and what she had for the last 12 years. But I want you to see the power of God's word. The first work that God's word does in us when we hear it is it changes what we believe can be. Now all of a sudden she has hope. It changed her from being hopeless to hopeful. And so what did she do? She began to say. Now I doubt very seriously if this woman has ever ever heard a lesson on faith. It doesn't say when she heard how faith works. She came in the press behind and touched his garment. It says says when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. I doubt very seriously if she understood how faith works at all. I doubt very seriously if she understood that faith is believing in the heart and saying with the mouth and then acting on what you believe. She just did what seemed natural based on the hope that what she heard of Jesus had spurred in her heart. Now, she must have heard of people being healed by touching him. She must have, because that's what she said she was going to do. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If she had had faith for water baptism, if she had heard that Jesus was baptizing in water and people were getting healed, then she said, if only I could be baptized, then I'd be healed too. But that's not what she had faith for. She had faith to touch him, at least the hem of his garment. So when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind. She acted on it because she said, she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Somebody asked me this morning after the service, how was it that Jesus went three years in his ministry and then tells us, gives us the account in Mark chapter 11, which is in my opinion, the most concise description of how faith works. How is it that Jesus could have upbraided his disciples during those three years for a lack of faith? Well, we're the only ones that think that faith comes as a, as a matter of, of uh, uh, a ritual or a formula. Jesus taught faith by just telling them simple things. He said, if you have faith, you'll say. See, what you're saying is your faith in, at work. What you're saying is your faith revealed, whether you've ever heard a lesson on faith or not. Jesus said about faith, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say. 
Because faith always speaks. That's why you can tell where somebody is by the words that come out of their mouth. Whatever they say, whether they've ever heard anything about faith or not, whatever they say is what they believe. Because faith always comes out of your mouth. Eventually. So these disciples should have known by putting together the the few things that Jesus has told them along the way. So that Peter's question, implied question at least, when he says to Jesus about the fig tree, look, the fig tree you cursed yesterday has withered away. There should have been no question in his mind whatsoever. They should have heard Jesus speak to the fig tree and had enough experience with him to say, well, that fig tree's a goner. No hope for that thing. Because what Jesus says comes to pass. Jesus' words always come to pass. Well, same thing with this woman. She didn't have any lessons on faith. But she heard of Jesus and it gave her hope, so she spoke. She spoke according to the faith that, had, that what she heard of Jesus brought and planted in her heart. And then she acted on it. Jesus, immediately knowing that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Master, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? But he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. The disciples, in other words, answered, Everybody that can touch you is touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Who didn't? But Jesus knew somebody touched him differently. With a different motive and got a different result. And it's also interesting to realize that she's the only one in this story that had faith to reach out and touch Jesus. And so she's the only one that got a supernatural result. A miraculous result. It's also interesting to me that everybody else is doing the same action. Taking the same step that she took about touching him. But nobody else is getting anything. So it wasn't just a physical touch. This physical touch mixed with faith. Jesus looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, now she's not believing anything. She knows something. Knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And notice what Jesus said to her in verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, folks, I would submit to you that it was the power of God that made her whole. Why does Jesus credit her faith? Because it was her faith that activated the power that was available for anybody and everybody there that was touching him. But she's the only one that would have any record heard of Jesus. Now we know that they, other people have heard from the standpoint of they've listened to reports. But they didn't really hear it. It was just information to them. It wasn't something that took root in their hearts like it did with her. But once it took root in her, it changed her outlook on life. And it changed what she said. And she got a miraculous result. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and behold of thy plague. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 14. Oh, if people would just hear. Matthew chapter 14. Beginning in verse 34, it said, And when they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him notice that when the men of that place had knowledge of them well what does that mean it means they heard it means they heard 
Remember our text scriptures? They came to hear and be healed. When the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. They put out the word that every sick person needs to get to a certain place where Jesus is. And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. What does that tell us? It tells us they came in faith. They came in faith. I can just see the men of that country. And I'm not sure what spurred it on. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I think these men have a special reward in heaven waiting for them. Or waiting for them when they got there. Because they went and spread the word. This Jesus guy that's healing the sick is in our country. It's in the region of our towns. You need to send all the sick people of this town to where he is. Now, if they said, we don't know if anything's going to happen or not. You know, he's one of those healing evangelists, but some people get stuff and some people don't because you never know what God's going to do. I doubt if they'd had much of a crowd. But they must have been inspiring people's faith based on the knowledge that they had of Jesus and what they had heard about him. This guy's the real deal. He heals the sick no matter what the condition is. He heals lepers, which is the big sickness of the day. He heals cripples. He opens blind eyes. Send everybody no matter what's wrong with them. What a crowd that must have been. What did Jesus do? Do you say, well, now, this is not the way I normally operate. This is too many people. I tell you what, half of you stay today and we'll lay hands on you. And tomorrow, the rest of you come back. And it says they just besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. All he had to do was walk in the midst of them. They reached out and touched him. As many as touched were made whole. Now, did that just work in Jesus' ministry? Turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 tells us about Paul and Barnabas in this, the region of Galatia. And the Jews stirred up some trouble so that they left one place, Iconium. And they went to another couple of towns in the the cities of Lyconia. Notice it begins to tell us in verse 7, Acts chapter 14, verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. He's talking about Lystra and Derbe. And then it tells us about something that happened in the city of Lystra. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Now, how hopeful would this guy be to ever be able to walk? He's in a hopeless condition too, isn't he? He was crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now, the only thing that we know that Paul spoke is identified in verse 7 where it says, there they preached the gospel. But we know that faith is produced in this man's heart to be healed. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Paul's gospel had to include healing. I wish the church would get a hold of that. There they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him, the crippled man, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Perceiving that he had faith to be healed. One service. 
one declaration, one sermon about Jesus taking the taking our sins and our sicknesses upon himself, paying the price for us, setting us free, brought this man faith to be healed. Paul said to him with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Folks, the point I want to get across to you is it still works today. Hear and be healed still works today. Hear and be healed still works today. Now turn with me finally over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Verse 14, James is writing to the church. He's writing to Christians that are scattered abroad because of the persecution that arose in Jerusalem or against the Jews in Jerusalem. So he writes to them and says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. He gives specific instructions for the sick to be healed at church. It's the only instruction that the New Testament gives for how healing should operate in the local church. Now we know he's talking about the local church because he tells them to call for the elders of the church. He doesn't say call for any minister. Elders would correspond to the pastoral staff of a local church. Every time the word elders is used in the scripture is in reference most often to Paul's ministry where he'd go to a town, stay for a certain period of time, establish a church, usually through signs and wonders, and then leave certain elders in charge of that local congregation. Since nobody was saved any much or uh, if any longer than anybody else, he usually picked just older people with more life experience to take care of the church until God raised up a pastor. But the elders represent those that would do the work of the pastoral staff in a local church. So he says, is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Notice he doesn't write to the pastors to have healing lines or healing services or healing ministries. He leaves the responsibility up to the sick. Now, P.C. Nelson said something to a group of ministers, younger ministers that Brother Hagen was a part of many, many years ago that, uh, that I found interesting. And studying it out, I found that to, to be true. P.C. Nelson was one of the, if not the foremost minister or authority, I should say, of the Greek language during the time that he was alive. And he said in the Greek that this was originally written where it says, is any sick among you? It carries the idea, communicates the idea that he's talking to people that were beyond doing anything to help themselves. The implication, he said, was that we should reach out to God on our own to receive from him with our own faith whenever possible. But there are times where we need help. And that's who James is writing to. He, and it makes sense. He wouldn't be saying that every time you get a hangnail, run to the elders of the church and get them to pray. Every time you have a headache, have somebody lay hands on you and pray for your healing. We should be able to take care of some things by ourselves. But there are other things that we face that are too big for us to handle on our own. And it helps to have other people stand with us. That's what he's referring to. Again, the responsibility is the sick to be prayed for, not the pastors, 
to make sure everybody is prayed for. So he says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing with oil in the, in the name of the Lord. And the, the word pray, there are two words that are used that refer to pray or prayer. In verse 14, it talks about let them pray over him. Verse, six, verse 15 says, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Those are two different words. The word used in verse 14 means oratory worship. And so literally, there's only two possible meanings for what he's talking about. One is prayer. I'm sorry, one is praise. And the other is worship. Or maybe he's talking about a combination of both. But that's the only possibility. For this word that he uses, that's the only possibility. Now, prayer and praise, I'm sorry, praise and worship are a little bit different as defined in Scripture. Praise is thanking God for something that he's done. Worship is responding to God because of who he is. Now, remember, he's talking in a specific sense concerning the sick. So what would we praise God for doing in relation to the sick? Well, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. So when he says, let them, the elders, pray over the sick, he's talking about thanking God or praising God because of what Jesus has already done. The second possibility is worship. Now, what would the sick worship God for being? Our healer. Now, that presupposes something that's very important, and that is that the Christian who is sick that needs help from the church has heard of Jesus. He's heard of the work of Jesus on the cross to effect a healing and a cure for them from whatever sickness or disease afflicts them. I think the best way to go about it to fulfill the definition of this word prayer is both praise and worship. Thank God that Jesus has taken our infirmities and borne our sicknesses and worship him because he's our healer. Now the rest of it is, is Jewish custom. The rest of verse 14 is Jewish custom. He said, let them pray over them. We've already talked about what that means. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the anointing with oil is just an Old Testament type of the Spirit of God being transferred to someone. But there's no mention given whatsoever to the Gentiles to anoint with oil. None whatsoever. Now, why would they need the anointing with oil? Well, in Jewish history... As I said, it denoted and therefore had some kind of meaning to the Jews that it was a sign of the Spirit of God coming upon them. But does the Spirit of God have to have the anointing with oil to come on somebody? Were you anointed with oil when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost? Well, he came on you, didn't he? See, the Gentiles don't have that custom. And notice it's not the anointing with oil that saves or heals the sick. It's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. So the anointing with oil is just custom. Now some people bless their hearts. They get upset if you don't anoint them with oil. So I try to avoid the problem. If they ask specifically for it, then I'll anoint them with oil. But if somebody doesn't specifically ask for it, I don't bother with it. And I'll explain why as we go. Notice verse 15. It says, in the prayer of faith. Now this word prayer is a different word that's used from before in verse 14. This word prayer means vow or declaration. 
So it literally, nowhere in this is there a request. Nowhere in this is there a begging God to do something. Which most people think they're doing when they're asking for prayer, for healing for their bodies. They want somebody to beg God on their behalf. But that's not what the word prayer means. It means a vow or declaration. Now, a declaration is just saying this is the way that it is. It's a statement of fact or a statement of purpose. A vow is something you commit yourself to. For example, if I vow to serve God all the days of my life, I haven't asked him to do anything. I don't place, vows really don't have conditions. True vows don't have conditions. It's not a matter of making a deal with God. God, if you'll deliver me from this situation, then I'll serve you all my life. That's not a real vow. A real vow is a commitment that you make no matter what based on your own determined will. It's a declaration of purpose. So here where it says in the vow of faith, literally the vow of faith, the vow or declaration of faith shall save or heal the sick. This word save, by the way, means to restore it means to be made whole. So it's talking about healing. The vow or declaration of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Now there's some things that the Lord has really been dealing with me about these verses of scripture here lately. And so I want to try to explain something to you. See if I can get this out right. As much as I'm able to determine, I'm anointed in three areas. First of all, I'm anointed to pastor the church. Now, what that means is I have responsibility to lead the church, to shepherd the church, to lead it. This is, I don't mean to say it's an onerous thing, but there's a responsibility attached to it. And the only way that I can escape that responsibility is if I go on vacation and leave the church in somebody else's hands, according to what God has led me to do. But even then, I've got to get, a, get beyond a certain geographical boundary. Because as long as I'm within the geographical boundaries that God has sent me to, to, to be responsible for, that responsibility is there. Now, that responsibility doesn't carry over to somebody else's church. That responsibility doesn't carry over to some other place. I have been given a responsibility and anointing to pastor this church in this place. And it's always there unless I leave the geographical area. Now, another thing that I'm anointed to do is to teach. Now, that's not geographical. That's not temporary. It's not something that's relative to just one place or one location. That works wherever I go. If I go overseas, I'm still anointed to teach. If I go somewhere else in the States and teach in another church, I'm anointed to teach just as much there as I am here. So that's a different anointing. It's not an anointing that's... that's um, that you can be relieved of. It's something that's always there and always available. But the third thing that the Lord has really been dealing with me about is right here in these verses. Let's read verse 14 and 15 again. Is any sick among you? Now, the you that he's talking about are the 12 tribes that are scattered throughout all quarters of the earth because of the persecution. He identifies that in the first chapter. To the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We know it was the persecution that scattered them. Now James. Who is the pastor of the church. Is writing to people that used to be part of his church. That are now scattered to other places. 
So do you expect that he would expect for these people to find churches in the places that they've scattered to and be part of local congregations there? Well, obviously he thinks so, expects so, because he, he says of them as if there's any sick among them, let them call for the elders of the church. If there's no church, there's no elder to call on. So he expects them to be part of a local congregation. Now, with that in mind, how does he know that the pastor of that local congregation has a healing anointing? How would he know? See, he's given the same instruction to the Jews that are scattered into Greece as he is Jews that are scattered into Rome. And how could he give the instruction to call for the elders of the church, no matter what church they're part of or where they're a part of whatever church they're in, in, except every pastor was equipped by God to heal the sick in his own church? That's the only possible explanation. This is something I've come to realize here of late that I never really knew before. The only thing I knew about anointings to heal was like what Brother Hagin was described when the Lord appeared to him in a vision in 1950 in Rockwall, Texas. He laid the finger of his right hand in the palms of each one of Brother Hagin's hands and told him that he was giving him a healing anointing. Well, that's the only way that I thought anybody could be anointed. It's the only thing I had experience with. And even Brother Hagin would say, that the Lord told him to tell people that I appeared to you. Tell them that I put the finger of my right hand in the palm of each one of your hands. Tell them that your hands began to burn like a coal of fire. Tell them that if they'll believe that, believe that I appeared to you, believe that you're anointed, that that anointing would drive out sickness from their bodies, no matter what it was. Well, some people would hear it and some people would receive and other people wouldn't. Some people would say, oh, I don't believe that. So it wouldn't work for them. There'd be people that would come up in the healing line. And you could tell. There'd be some people standing there with kind of a silly, a silly grin on their face just waiting to see what Brother Hagin was going to do. Sometimes he'd pass right over them. There'd be times where he'd have his eyes closed, wouldn't be paying attention to anybody in the line, pass right over people that were there just to see what was going to happen. Well, that makes sense. Why would God waste the anointing on somebody that wouldn't receive it? But as I said, that's the only healing anointing that I knew anything about. I'd read after other people and seen how God used them and so forth. But as I said, that was primarily the, the only thing, or pretty much the only thing that I knew about a healing anointing. But if these scriptures hold true in every church in every situation, then every pastor has to be equipped to heal the sick. It has to happen. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, the sick, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer, the vow, the declaration of faith shall save the sick or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Notice the responsibility is still on the sick, not the elders. It's up to the sick to call for the elders, call for help. But that also presupposes that whenever a sick person calls, the anointing is there and will operate to affect a healing and a cure in the body of the sick. So I've come to realize that I'm anointed in three things. To pastor, to teach, and to heal the sick in this church. It has to be so. Now the Bible gives me specific instruction for how that works. It doesn't say Jesus has to appear to me. It says that if we 
me and whoever calls on me to heal, uh, to lay hands on them, to minister to them for healing. If we worship God because he's our healer and thank God because Jesus has done the work and make our vow and declaration of faith, then healing will come. But that can't be a part-time thing. It has to always be available for the sick to be able to call any time and any place. Can you see that? I think that's something we need to develop our faith in. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Lord is dealing with me about this. Because I've started trying to build my faith in this area. I've always said that I don't have a special anointing. I wish I did. I wish Jesus had appeared to me like he did to Brother Hagin and laid his finger in my hands just like he did his. But if I said that happened, I'd be lying. And so I've always said I don't have a special anointing. Well, I don't have a special anointing in that respect. But I do have a special anointing in James 5 respect. Because he's the one that called me and set me here as the pastor of the church. But again, I'll make the same statement I did before. It presupposes that somebody has heard of Jesus. Hear and be healed. Hear and be healed. Now, folks, James is inspired by the Holy Ghost as a pastor, pastor of the church of Jerusalem, who if anybody's going to know how this stuff works, it's going to be him. He's the pastor of the mother church. Sounds kind of like the mothership, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Where the church originated in Jerusalem. He is the pastor, the one that God raised up after an interim period where Peter was in charge. God has raised him up to take over the pastoring, the shepherding of these people that are there. And now God anoints him and inspires him to write a letter that covers churches everywhere. And he says, is any sick among you? Let them, the sick, call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders, worship God, praise him for what Jesus has done, and worship God because he's our healer. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's ritual. That has very little to do with anything. And the prayer of faith, the vow, the declaration of faith, who Jesus is and who we receive him to be in our own lives, shall heal the sick shall heal the sick not might shall heal the sick now folks that's what God said would happen all we have to do is put him to the test and believe the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up let's pray Father we thank you so much for your word we thank you that you've made a surefire guaranteed method available for a healing to occur in your church. Lord, we thank you for the anointing to preach, the anointing to pastor, the anointing to teach, and the anointing to heal. Thank you, Lord, that it's always in operation for your people so that your church can be free from every sickness and every disease in the name of Jesus. We thank you for making it so, and whenever there's a, a demand placed on that, Whenever somebody follows the instruction given to us in the scripture, we thank you that you do heal the sick through the declaration of faith. And that, Lord, you raise them up in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand and just lift our hands and worship God for a moment.
Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. We praise you because you took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with your stripes, we are healed. We worship you, Lord, because you are our healer. You never say no. You never refuse. In fact, the work is already accomplished. The work is already done. How can you say no to that which you've already done? Healing is ours. In Jesus' name. Healing is ours. In Jesus' name. Healing is ours. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we receive by faith that which you've already done. And we declare it shall be so for us. Sickness has no part in us. It has no place in our bodies. We refuse to, to allow it to stay and remain. We don't deny that we're under attack when we are. We just refuse it the right to remain in the name of Jesus. Because you paid the price for it. Blessed be the name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you raised us up. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Quicken us, Lord, according to your loving kindness. Quicken us, Lord, according to the righteousness of God that was purchased by your precious blood. Amen. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good, and his healing mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great week.